Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Movement. I am Kyle Fincham. This is the final episode of 2021, and we are going out with a bang because my guest today is Yosef Fruchek from Fighting Monkey. I spoke to Yosef uh, for an episode well over a year ago. I invited him back. He accepted the invitation, and somehow the timing and the stars aligned for this to be the final episode of the year. So I'm excited to share it with you. I'm going to get to it very quickly. Um, I want to first thank everyone who has listened to the podcast this year, everybody who shared it, the people who have sent me messages, um, people who have reached out and to let me know that this was, you know, one of their top five most listened to podcasts of the year, their number one podcast of the year. Knowing people are listening and being influenced and inspired by it means the world to me and, and you know, helps give me the energy to, uh, to keep the project going. So thank you all so much. Um, I'm looking forward to everything that, uh, that happens in the new year, the new conversations and, and, you know, continuing to connect with people far and wide who are, who are listening, which leads me to thanking also, uh, all the guests, everybody who's been on and shared a conversation with me. Um, this wouldn't be the podcast without all of you. So thank you all so much. Um, I appreciate your time and energy and, and wisdom and your generosity with all of those things. So yeah, thank you. I look forward to many, many more. Um, a couple infinite play announcements. The first is I'll be getting on a plane in just a few days to head out to Boulder, Colorado to teach as part of the uh, Kinetic Playground event that's being hosted by Block 1750 in Boulder, Colorado. It's January 3rd through the 7th. Um, there are a whole bunch of teachers from all over the world who are coming out to, uh, to lead and teach and participate and facilitate. Um, many of them have been on the podcast, like Marlo Fiskin, Kim Amonqua, Alicia Grayson, Wendy Canal, Winston Reynolds, um, they'll all be there. They'll all be uh, teaching as part of this and um, many, many more as well. So I think there are probably still spots available. If you're interested, you can um, go to block1750.com or you can just go to my website, kylefincham.com. Um, also, while I'm in Boulder on January 9th, which is a Sunday, I'm going to do a two-hour infinite play jam that's for kids. So uh, if you're a parent in the area or if you know parents in the area, uh, let them know. It's for uh, all elementary school-aged children. All the info's on my website. Again, kylefincham.com and just under the Infinite Play page. And then I'll be headed back to New York and we will be here until the spring and I'll be doing a two-hour infinite play jam every Saturday in New York City from January 15th through March 19th. Um, I'm excited to, to be in one place for a bit and uh, see some new faces and see some familiar faces. Um, we're going to do it rain or shine, snow, mud, cold, 
whatever the weather is, we're going to be out there. Um, we're going to be in a different park every week, so I'll be uh, announcing each week what uh, what park in the city we'll be in, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll find some new and exciting areas to play in. Um, if you want to sign up for that, again, it's at my website, and you can also use a promo code IPNY15. And if you sign up before January 1st, you will save uh, 15% on, uh, on your admission for, the, for that event. That's IPNY15. Great. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to this conversation. As I said, my guest today is the returning Josef Fruchek. Um, if you're not familiar with Yosef's work, let me give you a little bit of his background. Yosef has been studying under the guidance of Master Ming Wang, uh, who's a doctor of Chinese medicine in the internal principles of movement and their relationship to health and aging. Yosef got his PhD in art in voice and movement in 2002. Yosef, along with Linda Captania, are the founders of Fighting Monkey Practice. They are both professionally involved in art, athletics, and movement research. Since 2002, Linda and Yosef have been developing the Fighting Monkey Practice through a deep study on cross-motion analysis and with the aim to understand the principles of the human movement, communication, and the aging process. I loved this conversation. It was incredible. I've also been doing um, the the a lot of the Fighting Monkey online courses, which I can't recommend more highly. I'm actually in the middle of Linda's most recent From the Other Side classes. And um, yeah, can't say enough good things. They're really wonderful. So go to fightingmonkey.net and, and, and check out you know, all the, the education opportunities that they have available. Let's get to it. Let's not waste any more time. Here is my conversation with Josef Fruchek. We were talking um, at some time ago about theater and that I use theater for understanding how we are as a conscious. Consciousness is a very complicated term in science, right? We don't really know and we do not really know how it arises. There are a few theories. We start to understand the complex global neural network of our, of our brains and what incredible stuff it can do. But I find um, something very tangible in doing the theater, right? And what I find about it so inspiring is that, you know, when we've been more animals than what we are right now right to be too much of conscious mind we were when we were animals we were doing more like a trial and error kind of thinking okay try something okay but if the solution that you find at the time wasn't successful you would basically die but then if us as an animal we were capable of something that we would call deliberation and deliberation is capacity to select uh, a valuable or the most important relevant information at that given situation, put them together and compute in quite short time what are our options, how we could possibly react to that situation, not only using what is actually in front of us, but also retrieving some of our memories and also trying to see in our possible future. So there's this kind of combination of times, right? Past, present and future, like a block of time that we are using to navigate in a current situation. And we were that capacity to 
create deliberation, creates a kind of simulation of what could happen, uh, made us really, really behaviorally adaptive in a novel situation. And I find it as a beginning of growth of a theater, theater of life, I would call it, right? That you are capable of dreaming some something new that you're capable of, um, there is a new problem in front of you and you are kind of echoing that problem in your mind and you're echoing it, echoing, you're twisting and you're using different neural networks and you come up with some novel solution that you didn't know it exists because you are replaying it in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in your mind, but you, you can also do it in a studio, but you can do it also in the theater. And by theater, I mean what? I do not mean that if the listeners are listening to that, I do not mean that they go to a theater school and they really do it in a theater, but theater is like an, a matrix room. And it's really like from that matrix movie, right? You have or black space, we call it black box in between us as an artist, or we call it a white box. The black box is the, like a theater like and white box is like a gallery, right? Mm-hmm. And in that black box, there is nothingness. And you can say, I start my deliberation, I start my thought process, but by a, an idea. So you, you, in the darkness, you say, I don't know, stone might be that idea. You're obsessed by the stone. And so you do, do what? You make a bill, you, you, know, you put a light on the stage and you lit a stone. And you're looking at that stone in that matrix space, in that black space. And then you close the light. And maybe then in that darkness, you roll that stone and you only hear the sound of the stone. Then you open up light again and maybe you see a stone and a human. Then you close the light again and then you lit again only the human. And you suddenly start to come up with really interesting connections that otherwise are impossible to kind of perceive or project in our normal life. So this is our laboratory, our our theater in our life, this deliberative process is our laboratory where we can create a world out of nothing. It can be idea, it can be piece of object, it can be uh, color, it can be feeling, right? It's, this is very interesting, Kyle. Um, people ask me why you would be in Fighting Monkeys spend so much time on internal work, but through observation of nature, being in nature and studying nature, right? Why you spend um, so much time about understanding and feeling yourself? Because feeling was our almost our first brain, you know, like you have homeostasis. There's like a core of your consciousness. Your homeostasis is the capacity to map the entire universe of your own body. There is nothing in your body that would be unmapped right? So it maps everything. It lets you know where is that zero point around which you have to hold in order to stay in physiological balance, in order to be viable organism, to be able to live. And the first way of letting the organism know that kind of higher level of consciousness about that homeostasis is capacity to feel you do not feel so well or something goes really not okay there's this kind of hormonal you know like your your organs and your muscles are marinating in those hormones right Mm -hmm. so this would be like that that kind of feel how we have what kind of feeling we have in our life and it kind of directs our behavior in the world and that feeling is like a backdrop in the theater backdrop is like is it blue is it yellow it kind of influences your whole mood during the day and it greatly prime the way you want to think and rationalize about what the world is 
And that kind of feeling with also this priming will probably decide what kind of information that you have perceived from the environment will be pushed through the bottleneck into your consciousness. Mm. And because you start to understand those processes, because you do this deliberative process of theater making in your mind or in the theater, you becoming more knowledgeable about your past, about your prior knowledge. How do you look at the things that you can maybe look at them from different angles and you have a safe environment to play with them, right? Mm -hmm. And the playfulness is somehow not present in our lives so much. We need to remember that we are not chickens. Chicken within, you know, like a few minutes of life knows everything what to do in life. But we need caregivers. We need someone who will help us to understand how to encode the world. Of course, we are primed, you know, when babies uh, born can grasp, right? So it knows I need to get engaged with the world, can suck, and has this upright reflex. I need to look how to push against the gravity. But everything else needs to be developed. And there are so many individual differences of how we perceive the world, how open we are to the world. And that is happening through play. Mm-hmm. If, you de- if you deprive people from playing, they just become more monotone, more rigid, more ossified in their system of thinking, but also moving. They become knowledgeable. They say, I know instead of I search, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they, they become people with answers and not people with questions. Yes, Sometimes people are, are, are kind of comment on science that, you know, like, what do you think science is all right? No, the science is not all right. But what science is doing is try to remove what we are for sure, not true assumptions about the world. And also what is beautiful about science, like that's what we apply a lot in fighting monkey research, that we are happy that someone proves that our theories, our body of knowledge cannot answer certain questions, right? So then you can revisit and update that model instead of protecting that model. Oh, I have created this whatever yoga-like or tai chi-like or whatever movement-like. I didn't mean those particular disciplines, but I'm just saying, you know, no, knowing is really end point for everything. Mm-hmm. You need to know this a passage for understanding deeper and deeper what's the, what's the actual universe and how how it functions what are the rules of that universe when you were talking about um you know the observations that we've made in our life and then them kind of filtering through into these moments where the when i look around one of the things that i notice is that you know life is so sanitized right mm-hmm. and when life is is sanitized and we're not communicating in all the rich ways we can with people and with the environments that we move through um our our observations become limited so the information we have is 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 super limited and yes, and i see that as a, as a, as a as a as a problem when and i think maybe that's what you're talking about where, where there, that rigidity comes from where we don't have more of these options available yes look, we, we can look at it uh, like this when we talk about for example in our research we call it stillness practices Stillness practices is not being still and meditate. Stillness practices in our research is hunting movements. Hunting movements is like we were once animals that were also eaten, right? Or we need to we needed to observe very well the environment in order to understand nature and understand what plants to eat, how to use them, where are the animals moving, how to hunt them, how to not be hunted. And that's a beginning of not only self-reflection, but also understanding of surrounding, being kind of empty, kind of 
like when we stand in nature and we observe and we are quiet, when I go with my father and I observe the animals, right? I am so quiet. I stand. I do not sit. I stand. There is this connection between earth and the sky, right? But I am like this undifferentiated cell. I'm like a stem cell. So standing position for a human body is like a stem cell that can give birth to so many different tissues of life, right? And so uh, when we are in that environment, we are learning in that environment how to approach the environment through engagement so when you are when you are moving in a diverse environment you are capable of creating different angles of observation you do not look at like when we have when we are learning through screens or when we are learning through books and there's nothing bad about the books neither about the screens but this is like being in a gallery and observing a picture of Picasso or Leonardo da Vinci or Miro or whatever, but it's still this two-dimensional object. While we are learning how to observe changing world within which we change as well. So mm-hmm. this, this implies a lot of entropy, right? This, uh, there is a lot of information noise by the way we observing the world. And when you are a practitioner that is constantly moving in landscape, that is changing and notices the change and notices the change in himself, you are capable of understanding that noise is the fundamental principle for development of life. The imperfection of our memories is fundamental for creation of life. When, when we're creating a training systems, we usually try to clean up those systems. We use protocols. We use defined pathways of learning, step one, step two, level three, level four, level five. But there is nothing like that in nature when there is a DNA template of the, for development of the brain, the DNA doesn't know what should be the end result. The end result is the, the, the way, the process itself and within the instruction that the genes they have and the interaction with the environment will define what will be the end product. So we cannot know before, and there's no blueprint. While we constantly feed people in universities, in trainings, that this is the first step, this is the last step, and there is not enough of noise to create the robust and immunity strong organism. I don't know if this was clear enough, but I would go more into genetics if we would like to our evolution, but that noisy systems are necessary. This unclarity is necessary. Not promising is necessary. And then the people that are part of those systems, these biologically healthy systems, they engage more with the world. They, they try to probe the world in many different ways. Yeah. What's well, kind of, um, you know, we started with consciousness and like, you know, the blessing of consciousness is that ability to like do the time traveling, right? And that we can all at once, we have the past, present and future kind of happening. And, but it's also the, the curse is almost like the over organizing maybe, or like the Mm -hmm. over, the over boxing and what turns into systematizing and protocols. Yes. You know that what the the, the problem there is, if you look at the science of consciousness, you, you will probably very quickly understand that we might be looking at the image, right? I will oversimplify now the whole um, domain of um, uh, neuroscience, but we are looking at certain image, right? Not everything that we are looking at, we see. Only part of what we see actually gets into our perception, right? Not in our consciousness, not in our awareness, but it is being perceived. Now, all of what is being perceived is still 
analyzed by our brain and then globally is decided with many different networks in our brain is decided what is the most relevant information that will get into our awareness. Now, I was always asking in our research, in our in our movement research, in our uh, internal like a mindfulness practice, I said, how do you, because that's certain priming, right? What will be selected? Why the brain selects this information and not the other as the most valuable at that moment? And what we need to do with that play, with that understanding of neurobiology, of that understanding how we position ourselves in actual four-dimensional space is that we can be learning at different priming systems. We can prime ourselves to feel. We can prime ourselves to observe different patterns in the environment. We can be primed to, and you are able to, and you're able to attune differently that you're not using only one filter to look at the world, but you use games. You use training methods that actually train your brain to look at the things differently and train to be looked at differently. That you do not ask, make an assumption that your biased view is the one that is better than anyone else's. So you experiment in this matrix in your training space, you, exper you experiment how else I could be looking at that object. May it be human body, may it be interaction between more agents, between agent and the object or between the object, etc. Mm -hmm. And then, and to me, it's like the, you know, we talk, we, we, we use the word play, but so much of play is like, um, it to me is the idea of, of facilitating surprise or facilitating lost, right? Facilitating novel, mm -hmm. yes. right? Not and getting away from familiar, like almost like when the play becomes familiar, like it's, it's, it's maybe it's not quite play anymore. Mm -hmm. Very correct. But when we look at the play, of course, it's, it's also, it's broad. It's like, a, we can be talking about a play probably for half a year in lectures, mm -hmm. right? But, if we, if, we talk about the, if we talk about the play in these matrix settings, we are probably talking about play within which the rules can expand mm. or shrink or be bent or some, some of the rules might be removed and other rules might be taken in. We spend really enormous amount of time, as you probably have seen in, uh, in Fighting Monkey, that most of our time we are creating new games. Uh, we are using existing sport games and twitching them in a most weird ways. We are always kind of saying, uh, that was when we, when we talk about movement situations in our research, we used to say, okay, how do you practice today if you do not know what tomorrow brings? Because it seems like, seems like everyone is training as if they would know what tomorrow brings. So I say, okay, guys, this is, the, this is what we will do today. I am so powerful that I will decide one week before the Olympic Games what will be the disciplines, what will be the rules of the disciplines. Okay, now that you do not know in which discipline you will perform and what is in those disciplines, how that would change your training? And I'm not really saying this is the best way to look at the world because you can also do basketball and do everything within the basketball. But as a thought experiment, it's very interesting. What do you do if you're a hunter and you do not know what tomorrow brings? How sensitive you need to be? How diversified you need to be? And that applies also when we, when we work with uh, like a hockey players or when we work with the basketball players and say within those rules that you define as your major way of playing in the world, how we can create games that would still make you alive 
that this basketball or football or whatever you do or golf doesn't become just monotone, rigid kind of play that eventually you will grow old into and you will not know how to improve your game or how you not get always repeatedly injured in it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I, 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 I love a lot of the things that you guys propose and I'm going to distill some little pieces down, but it's like, I look at a lot of spaces and there's a lot of focus on strength and mobility and very defined kind of movements or, or, or techniques or something. And I think that they're wonderful, but it, 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 you know, I think that we made it very far by being very creative and adaptable and cooperative. And maybe that is like under the umbrella of being like, uh, communicative. Yes. And, and I'd like that the, the work you present is often really let's, let's, let's dig into those qualities. Those, those qualities that, you know, the, the strength of the mobility that might be byproducts of the, of those other explorations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Look at it, look at it like this. So you have several systems also very popular now in the United States where you're looking at the joint and you create some kind of articulation of the joint kind of isolated articulation. And I do not have to mention anyone. You probably know what I'm talking about. So you have a workshop for shoulder and you have a workshop for elbow and you have a workshop for upper limbs and you have a workshop for lower limbs. Well, we have probably lost our mind because there is nothing in science that could allow you to do that kind of separation. Why? Because joints have evolved in the totality of network of coordination and cooperation. Means that if something has changed in my finger, the entire architecture, the entire bow plan, evolutionary bow plan has changed because of that one change. And so you can only heal one joint if you work with the whole body. I am not saying that at some point you should not be paying more attention to one joint, but still within the connection to all joints. And I would give you maybe this example. Since we are genes, several thousand genes cooperating together to create one harmonic cooperated multicellular body, we would probably also like to move as one coordinated unity, right? And so if there is a problem, I'm not looking at that problem because if you have a problem with the knee, most probably the knee has nothing to do with the problem that arrived in the knee, right? If you are injured knee or you have inflammation in the shoulder, I don't think the shoulder is really the cause of that problem. So what we can be doing in that in that rehabilitative process, let's say, we always play the whole orchestra. So you are a conductor and you hear all the instruments, your shoulder, your elbow, your wrist, your fingers, your spine, your pelvis, etc. But you are capable because you are so experienced conductor, you can point out or make a more emphasis on violin, more emphasis on drums, more emphasis on contrabass, more emphasis on piano, whatever, but you are constantly able to hear the whole orchestra. You have that expanding awareness capacity because you can access information of a network. You can access decentralized networks, the emergence of complex networks as we are as human beings. What we try to do, we try to simplify the system so anyone can understand and get certificate over Saturday and Sunday workshop. The problem is that if you do not know how to move in coordination your whole body, certain information will not be available to you because we are complex system within which 
um, emergent information appear, emergent a new kind of level of organization because of interactive parts are creating something incredible and magical, which can be explained quite well in scientific way. But if you do not experience the movement of the whole body, the beautiful coordination of the whole body, you will never understand how to heal that structure. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes me think about um, some reading I was doing on cooperative learning. Mm -hmm. And I guess it became popularized maybe in the 90s or something. And there was this whole movement for cooperative learning. And then, of course, when something becomes popularized, they try to turn, make systems and methodologies about it. And the person who's mm -hmm. writing about this said, there, there is no system or methodology. What you need is teachers or facilitators who kind of embody the value. And then they present it and it changes with each unique emergence of groups. Yes, very so it's, it's kind of like that embodying of the, of the value. Yet on top of adding to that, you need to understand, for example, what are the algorithms that give growth to that kind of emergent systems, right? So you look at the genes, you look at the genes, what are the instructions, right? We need to know those templates. What are the templates for movement? How we could potentially help someone to become better athlete or move better in their life. So it's not only that I have embodied it, but I do need to understand the mechanisms behind it, adaptive learning or how those complex this emergence could happen. So we need to know how, what are the, what are the templates and then let the variability through the interaction with the, uh, with the environmental have to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yes. The mechanisms are necessary, necessary to understand. Also the templates are necessary more or less to understand. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious again, because we talked about kind of past, present and future mm -hmm. and um, I, you know, someone told me not too long ago, maybe it was you when we spoke last or maybe been someone else talking about the name fighting monkey comes from, it means fighting the monkey mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm curious about that and that idea, because again, we talked about consciousness and, and to me, when I hear fighting among the monkey mind, I think of this idea of kind of getting out of our own way and not always being so dependent on like the thinking mind, but I'm curious uh, about, you know, kind of that that concept so uh, you know when when we first started with linda to kind of articulate what we would like to do we, we said oh, it needs to have a name because once you start to teach someone they want to not only know your name but more or less do you give it some name and and before la fighting monkey is really catchy name so it mm -hmm. should be called fighting monkey right so that was the beginning the beginning was very innocent Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that that name absolutely represents the scope of our research, right? Mm -hmm. So now I think like FM practice, that mm -hmm. FM practice stands for the quest for better communication, how right. we can learn how to communicate better. This would be the most important. And also what maybe would be important to listeners, I was, and I am still very, very interested in how to create practice that can support life. What does it mean support life? I mean, I am interested in practice that can support anyone else's life. I do not want to pull people towards what I do, but rather allow them to whatever thrive in whatever environment and 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 conditions and context within which they are, the way they think. So I was, I was looking at biology, I was looking at evolution, I was looking at how at the, at the living structures, and I said, what are the, the prerequisites for life-supporting um, functions, for life-supporting practice? 
And of course, what comes very obvious is that when you look at actually biology, you, you understand that practice like that should have some kind of eight pillars. And those eight pillars are biological pillars of life supporting functions. And they are maintaining boundaries is the first one. And maintaining boundaries is, you know, like the, what covers or protects the DNA, what is, it's a membrane of a cell. Uh, which means also your self-authorizing epistemiology, your way of knowing yourself, right? So this is the first one. So every life-supporting practice should give you an understanding better of who you are and how you change over time and how you can respect what you've done and how you are evolving towards the future. And you also accept that you are not perfect, but you are evolving and you are learning new. Then second part of the life-supporting functions and life supporting practice would be movement, but then not I am moving, but how do I move in a most universally valid way? So how flexibly I could use that knowledge in relearning basketball or football or wrestling or whatever it would be. And, and, and it's good now that I mentioned freestyle wrestling, where we now spend a lot of time on the research, how those simple rules of freestyle wrestling cross-culturally from Africa, Mongolia, Iran, um, Georgia, Kafkas, and all these beautiful worldwide regions, they have very simple rules of hugging, right? Mm -hmm. And how to disbalance someone. And then you have this amazing diversity that comes out of those, those simple rules. And we need to understand that these universally valid rules can give a great complexity in life. And so we are studying now, what are those universally valid movements that give that capacity for a child, adult and elderly people to kind of keep on changing and creating energy surplus for their better aging. Mm -hmm. Then the third aspect is responsiveness. So it's not only that I, I, am in, I am in a process of knowing myself, not only that I am searching for universally valid movement, but I also need to know how to respond to changing environment, which in other words means I am a basketball player. And regardless that this is the main domain within which I work, I still need to find a freshness by which I can recognize the changes within my own body or within the play means within my own body it means that i i am aging or i got injured or i am not creative enough to be good player what should i do in my daily practice to respond to changes that are happening maybe the team is better and i need to find a new strategies and this is called responsiveness in nature right mm -hmm. which is driven by competition which is driven by evolutionary stable state or evolutionary stable strategies etc cetera, etc cetera. then these are the first three. And then we say, okay, what is, how do we digest? Which is how do we digest energy from the environment? Then we can be talking about metabolism. So how do we manage energy in our life? Then we can be talking about excretion, how we clean the by-process, the byproducts of metabolism, right? What in life-supporting practice gives you an ability to clean yourself, right? You clean your bones, your ligaments, your tendons, your organs, your mind, and then we have a growth, which, within which we know we cannot grow endlessly. So we talk about innovations in our practice. And then we talk about reproduction. And in our case, we are talking about cultural reproduction. So not via genes, but via culture. How do you spread your ideas and how you can, are able to share them, right? So if, if a life-supporting uh, practice doesn't have all of those biological pillars and principles, then it is incomplete practice. Mm -hmm. 
And also what is scale, what is so beautiful about that, it's this so complex that you cannot hold it within one person. So it cannot corrupt. I cannot say Joseph Ruchik have studied all of those and can embrace it all. No, it has to be collaborative endeavor within which more people are involved in creation of something that can give life. And so there are less chances that the whole system will corrupt. Mm -hmm. It is decentralized. So if I say FM research, FM practice, life-supporting practice for better aging, more graceful aging, then I say, don't worry, I am not alone there. There are many feedbacking mechanisms that will check if I would be abusing my power or my knowledge in any way. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think then when it comes to, because I agree, I think that, you know, it's all about collaboration. I think collaboration is, is, is a huge priority, but in the world that we are in and a lot of the cultures we exist in, mm -hmm. everything is super competitive and it makes that collaboration very challenging um, mm -hmm. and, and causes uh, hiccups in that. And I, I don't know that it's actually a question, but just kind of adding, yeah, yeah. adding makes, to the mix of this conversation. It, it makes total sense. If we cannot exclude competition and irreducible um, unknown that world comes with, I don't know if that was in, in English correctly spelled. So there is a competition and there is also aspect that we cannot know everything about our surroundings. And that's amazingly strong driving force for our evolution. So we crave and we should be happy that there is a competition. I love competition because that allows me to reinvent, that allows me to look around. But the question would be, if that competition is driving us towards better or if it's driving us towards self-destruction or being abusive to other people, right? If we, and I mentioned it already before, in for a certain period of time in evolution, you can be abusing the other animals or within, also within your species. But when we're looking in the long-term kind of um, exchange of information or goods or energy, we will rather collaborate. Collaboration is so much better. Evolutionary stable strategy, right? There can be moments where someone like starts to dominate, like you can be aggressively stealing something from someone, but eventually uh, it will have to kind of balance each other. And there has to be some kind of good um, natural balance between, uh, between those forces. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe the, 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 I don't know, maybe the a sign that like the, the balance is off is when it starts to go into like excess or abundance. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and mm -hmm. maybe that's something that we witness in like a lot of like maybe training methodologies or training protocols or something is that it's not about being efficient or conserving energy because we live in this kind of world of abundance. And we know that we can actually exert beyond what we would normally have done at any other time because yeah. we exist in abundance in all the, in all the ways. You know what, Kyle, what is interesting? We are so much interested in aging, right? Mm -hmm. We are so much interested in staying healthy. But we didn't really understand that this is driven by a one simple rule. And this, that simple real, rule is really a second law of thermodynamics. So always increasing entropy. Now, always increasing disorderness. Boltzmann, a great physicist, he said, Entropy is almost always increasing. There's a good mathematical equation for that, but I'm not go, I'm not going to go into that into that uh, field. But I just want to say that what we have found out through informational uh, theories is that when we lose the information, then the greater disorderness happens. And so, with our practice, we should inform our system, and that injection of information comes 
and brings more orderness, at least local orderness. The entropy, total entropy will always increase, but there's some kind of local orderness because we inserted some information into a system. So then the question would be what kind of information we're working with in order to make that system more complex, but not too complex and not overwhelmed or not undernourished. So this is that, this is the difficult um, task that we have when it comes to a life supporting practice or practice that could help people to, to cope with aging and cope with the messiness of life that we meet every day, right? Mm -hmm. It's not enough to say the telomeres are shortening. Oh, that's very good. I, I, I do understand that. That's very beautiful finding. But then we need to probably say telomeres means in Greek, telosmeros, end of space. So what is your end of space in end of the day? What is your beginning of the day? How do you are being nourished after the day? Before you go to sleep, what do you say? How was my day? How do you plan the next day? Or what is the space between your breathing in and your breathing out or your breathing out and your breathing in? So telomeres is like a bridges of transformation, right? Mm -hmm. In order to preserve the information. So the telomeres do not shorten and we lose part of our DNA memory, right? So you take care of your telomeres through telomerase, through mindfulness, through understanding at the end of the day, what I have done today, did I do too much? How my body behaves, how I can change for tomorrow or for next month or for a whole year in order to, um, in order to stay healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I guess there's like a, uh, there's like, there can be a, a misunderstanding, I think, in, in, in much of the world about like what healthy is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I appreciate that you said FN practice is, is a practice of communication because I, I'm growing more and more to believe that being communicative and, and having more tools for communication is what I would call healthy. Yes. It's you know, a across, across a broad spectrum. Yes. Well, uh, look, more <laughs> diversity you have in communication. What I used to say in our mentorship when, I, when I'm kind of, we have this long educational cycle. So our first level is like a 10 months of very difficult studies, right? That's our first level. So uh, we used to say how you can be actor of many roles means that how you, how, what is your diapason? What are the colors that you can be using in communication? More variabilities you can come up with more sensitive you are to changes in environment, more sensitive you are to people that you are meeting, having enough energy to actually listen to them, absorb what they say and respond actually by seeing them and hearing them. Like when you have this, this very good dialogue, probably everyone's seen actors when they do dialogue and it is alive. And then you see some other actors, they do dialogue and it's not alive. So I'm very much interested how we can make the dialogue alive, how we can actually not only see but not only watch, but see, not only hear, but also listen to other people and truly respond to what they have to say. Not always driving our answers from our prior knowledge and not really understanding what is in front of us. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's playing jazz. I mean, that's also, you know, another thing that I experienced getting to, to take your classes is and that I, I also firmly believe in is, is the practice of improvisation, which takes on many different names. I mean, it can be improvisation, yeah. it can be free play, whatever the thing is, but, you know, often places stop short of that and, and people, you know, go at great lengths to try to uh, avoid that out of like the fear of the, the, the lost feeling rather yeah. than, 
building up the 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 information capacities to be able to walk into the mm-hmm. the places of improvisation which is life and beautiful and free beautiful. play you know what well, you know what it reminds me there was someone sent me on my on my channel like here this amazing guy i will not tell you who he was but he was so proudly saying i am only interested in efficient i will i take i will remove all the flowery stuff from my life and mm-hmm. i'm like thinking oh my god if you're looking only at efficient, then maybe architects would be doing only cubes and pyramids because that's the most efficient, right? The best building, the most easiest is a cube. We would forget about the art. We would forget about all the great diversity of uselessness, so to say, of the nature. There is certain efficiency, but how we look at efficiency through many diverse ways, we can be depending on our bow plan, depending on our architecture, depending on the constraints, depending on the context, we can come up with many different variants. And that doesn't mean that someone is more flowery than someone else. We just have to accept that we are different, but always someone claims that they know better than the other. Mm-hmm. So that person was definitely trying to say, look, I am looking only for efficient. So what you're going to find with me is the most essential things. Yes, but the most essential things can be manifested in many different ways. You look at five apple trees. Are they same or different? Yes, there is a certain amount of sameness and a certain amount of differences. Every apple tree is positioned differently in the environment. So depending on how the light hits them, depending on the wind, depending on the soil, depending how close they are to each other, will affect the branches and the branchiation of the, of the apple trees. They are almost the same, but different. So you cannot say that my type of tree is better than someone else's. Mine is more essential. Everyone is looking through whatever ways to understand how they could cope with the complexity and demands of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we need the, the abilities to create these bridges with everybody, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the more we get a taste of each person's unique curiosity, the more we can like move together or, mm-hmm. or problem solve or, or be innovative or, or whatever the thing is. And, and, and oftentimes it seems like there's, again, like people lack the tools to create the bridges even between, mm-hmm. you know, even seemingly people who aren't so far apart. Yes. We need to be looking at adversarial collaboration, collaborate with people that disagree with us, which is very, very important. Mm-hmm. We're looking at, we need to look at our health check of our own theories and what kind of evidence we can find, what kind of evidence we can find against our own theories and be comfortable with uncertainties, be comfortable that we cannot create stable and eternal concepts. And I'm going to tell you something beautiful. When, when I was, you know, uh, my father is a hunter and he was hunter all his life. And I asked him, how is all that, that you know about nature and animals and everything? And he said to me, if not for the other people, I would know nothing. I have learned everything through other people. There are bits and pieces that I found by myself, but it is was through interaction of other people that I could come to the level of understanding how nature works. And there's this great pool of, of knowledges that we can have that can inspire us and make us a little bit easier to navigate ourselves in this complex landscape within which we are part of and that we also co-create, right? They are not given landscapes. Social landscapes are not given, we co-create them. And, you know, you're talking about a hunter. I mean, uh, 
it, you know, it's among being human. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's a perfect example of what it means to, or moments where we need to ask all of our senses to come alive. And I remember yes. when we spoke the last time you used the, the, the hunter analogy and, and I really enjoyed it and, and took it and understood the, the idea of like, where are the places where, and how do we facilitate bringing alive all of the senses, you know, mm-hmm. like just moving the body in certain ways is, is wonderful, but it's like without the aliveness of the senses, like there's not this like proper integration or something. The way we move through the environments is the very specific way we will wire our brain. Mm-hmm. The way you move through the world is the architecture of your brain. The way you engage, the way you ask the questions. Look at it like this. We have some kind of memories, long-term memories in our brain. But the way you ask the questions to retrieve those memories will instantly change them. They are never the same. And so how you are re-asking yourself what you already know? Are you coming back to gym and you constantly live the weight the same way? Or you're coming to a gym and you have like 15 other freestyle wrestlers and they do not want to be lifted. And so you have to find each day a different way of lifting them. One doesn't exclude the other, but I'm asking your prior knowledge, how do you challenge your prior knowledge? Always reading the same books, same time of the books. Are you trying to confirm that you know something? Or you are also looking for conflicting evidence? Are you looking for the dialogue? Are you looking for the testing of your knowledge? That's an interesting thing. Even understanding, yes, I didn't know that my theories could solve those questions, or I didn't know that I am not knowledgeable about the questions that you are giving me. And so I know my theory is incomplete. And so I need to keep on searching and trying to find an answers in collaboration with other scientists and practitioners. But, um, you know, it's a, it's like this welcoming of change, right? It's like a kind of like a, I don't know. And when you talk about entropy, I hear, I hear change a bit in there. And, and I think that there's a lot of systems in place doing everything it can to, to, to defeat change and, and to some degree, like defeat entropy as opposed to, you know, kind of what we're talking about, you know, accepting that those are things and that they're, they're inevitable. And oh, then you said like, well, it very correct. You said it very correct. Because mm-hmm. evolutionary, nothing wants to change, but mm-hmm. we are forced to change mm-hmm. by, if by nothing else than by error in, in, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the replication by some kind of mutation, right? Mm-hmm. Even so we don't want, but the change has to happen, right? Then also what is interesting, we hold on to our knowledge or we hold on that kind of order that particular was created. But if you do not insert some small crisis into the system, the complexity will decrease. And so we will fall apart. So that's where this improvisation, so to say, comes into place and can uh, revitalize the system. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the beauty of it is it's, it's undefined, you know, it's that, you know, we can have these really elaborate conversations and put language in scientific or kind of poetic ways to all these things or even storytelling. Um, but the, the, it, it, it's never quite enough to my understanding to like capture the things that really matter. We can't always articulate in words and that we have to be like open to that, the idea of being like, well, I'm just going to jump into scenarios where things are going to happen. Whatever I learn, I might not be able to talk about it. And when I try to talk about it, it's probably going to be a fraction of what actually happened. 
Beautiful. You know, when, what, what we sometimes do in Fighting Monkeys are kind of cognitive games. And I, I will return back to the theater. And I give and I give few examples. So there is this, what, we, what, we, what I was doing when I was younger, I was working with one uh, artist. Uh, his name is uh, Sebastian Prantl. And he came up with, with that idea. He said, we meet and we're going to create a show. Uh, and he would not define what the show is about. Uh, he would not define what would be the space. He would not define what would be the costumes. He would not define what would be the text or a movement or anything. He just said, these are the 10 people that they meet and we start to make a performance. Performance in a sense of life performance, right? So he would say, let's start now. And he would be go, letting us go for one hour and then he would say, stop. And then he would say, let's repeat. So it's like an evolutionary process. And through the evolution of those cycles, you slowly, slowly start to formulate that group of people start to formulate a certain message. Something gets settled, something gets more stable, some elements are becoming more fluctuating. Mm -hmm. But it is so adaptive system that when someone got sick for two weeks, nothing was affected because it was so decentralized knowledge, so self-assembling uh, system that when someone got sick, it just changes its configuration and it could change its configuration constantly because no one was directing it too much. So it's like an evolutionary game in the theater. It means that not, we cannot say that we really improvise, but we are capable of saying that story in a million different ways. If half of the group would miss, some of the agents would take the part role of those missing people. And this would be a very beautiful explanation, evolutionary, like how our brain works. If one neuron dies, your memory is still intact, right? Because the information is stored in a network. Now think of the airplane. In airplane, you have a certain wiring. If something goes bad in that wire, the airplane will goes down, right? Yeah. It'll go down. So you need a double wiring. But mm -hmm. we are so much smarter. The brain is so much smarter. Neurons are dying all the time, but your memory is intact. Yes, something might be changing, but it is there and it still functions. Look at that noise. Look at that complexity. Can we replicate that complexity while we are training? Why are we always ticking the box? Why we are always stretching in the same way? Why we are lifting the weights in the same way? What do we think that does good to us? You know what? We're doing it because we try to find an order in a very chaotic world that we cannot embrace. We so badly try to control, but we, we need to understand there is nothing to control. There has to be a certain sense of control and prediction. Otherwise, we would be falling into chaos, right? And we would be feeling very insecure. Kids, they need to know what is their program. They need to know that someone cares of them. But a certain aspect of unpredictable, certain aspect of probability, certain aspect of not knowing, certain understanding the rules they change is very, very important. And I just find in my life so many people that assume that they know or they found the best thing and are not engaged anymore in discussion they just know that this is the best way for this when we when we in especially in athletic world we always say you know like if these athletes taught and the, the training this, that way this is the best way to train also ourselves but you do not understand that sports is the best way to abuse the young athletes when someone gets injured he's not sent to a coordination trainer He's sent to a strength conditioning trainer. But I don't think really the weakness 
brought them into a trouble when they have injury in their joint. It is usually the coordination that brought them into a trouble, made be coordination within their own bodies, or made be coordination between what they do with the others, or coordination between sleeping and activity, between coordination of their nervous system and their other system, etc. You probably understood what I tried to say here. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, that's kind of just continuing to play to like, you know, things that we can define and then the attempt to control and box things. And it leads to this idea of like, um, of happiness really. And like joy. And I think that, you know, and I, and I've read things that like really the, the feelings of joy and happiness are, are on the other side of creativity. Right. And creativity is so kind of like rich and like novel and surprise and uncertainty. And, um, you know, I think it's almost like we're led to believe that by boxing something that happiness is there, but it might be closer to that place of, of the unknown. Yes, we, we've, been, we've been trying that kind of principle in, in, actually, in actual space. So we were asking people to work with the wooden blocks Mm-hmm. that are well-defined, like a Bauhaus blocks, you know, like a clear shape, geometrical shape, and move them around. And then we were working with unstable objects. So we were rolling things that are more like an egg shape. And what kind of effect it has on psychology of the bodies, psychology of composition. And the beautiful thing is that qubits are an object of rationality, right? Mm-hmm. And an egg is uh, something that, you put the egg on the table and it most probably gonna roll off and break. Mm-hmm. But that egg, that instability of an egg that needs always to have some kind of attention so it doesn't fall off the table is that gentle attention that is required to bring life, if that makes sense. Cube, you can abandon. You put somewhere a cube, it's always gonna be there. But mm-hmm. egg is so fragile that you always need to have that one finger of that unstable object in order to control it, in order to understand the life. And also what is beautiful about the egg is that it's so fragile and its strength in, is in its complex structure. So when you press on an egg involving the entire structure of an egg, egg is quite powerful structure architecturally, right? Mm-hmm. But if you do an isolated point, so if you point the pen towards the egg, it breaks. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you embrace the whole surface of an egg, very powerful object. But if you isolate element of the egg, you break the life. And this is a very beautiful example of how we need to embrace the totality, understand the connection rather than isolated point. Mm-hmm. As you were talking about that, it made me think of um, the idea of, you know, they put trees in boxes on the side of the road, you know, and they're uh-huh. just like an isolated tree and they're in basically like this little box and when a windstorm hits, those are the first trees to fall down, even though they're on this perfectly flat surface. Yes. Um, but the trees yeah. that are often in, in nature and they're on the side of a mountain and they're coming out in these mm-hmm. awkward angles yeah. and everything, they don't fall down for all the various reasons. Um, yes. And, yes. and I thought about that as you were talking about the, the egg in the, in the cube. Yes. But the, you know, you are talking also about diversity breeds immunity. You know, that's, that's the whole point. When you have diversity, when you grow in a diverse environment, it is so beautiful. But of course, if you want to control, you would like to have everyone the same. You would like them to think the same way so you can manipulate them better. 
Now imagine that my students, they can think independently. They can have critical thinking. They have access to all the information. If I give you the access of, to information, if I give access to matrices, if I give you access to essences of what, where the information comes from, they gain independence and you gain less power to manipulate them. But what better in the world than having students that are capable of critical thinking and capacity to improve the model you're working with? It is just that they cannot be your puppet, puppets anymore. They cannot go for a level one certificate to a business. You know, that's more scary if you want to create a stable economical model. What's that? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm just saying it's it's very insecure for a teacher that his students can come and go anytime they want. And they do not need that particular master and a teacher all the time mm -hmm. because they get enough of information to be able to articulate themselves and what they come, why they come back, they come back to discuss. They come back to experiment together, not to be taught in a passive way, mm -hmm. not to just absorb, you know, information like a pigs in the farmer, you know, like where you just feed them, then you castrate them and then you, they are not capable, you know, when you castrate them and they start to behave and then you slaughter them and then you eat their meat. When I was, uh, I taught a workshop in Portugal and, yes, and uh, it was wonderful and connected with some really great people. And I met this young guy, Ricardo, he was about 19, but he was one of these people who thought like he was uh, like a 70 year old. He was just very wise. And nice. at the end of the workshop, I was like, hey, you know, any of these things that I shared with you, take them, add to them. And then maybe someday I'll come back and I'll see what you've added to these things. Beautiful. Yes. And he said to me, he said, you know, in Portugal and in Portuguese, we have a, a saying for this. Um, I don't know how to say it in Portuguese, but in English, he yes. said, it's uh, everyone who tells a story adds a comma. Yes. And it's the idea of, you know, these things are stories, take the stories and then add your comma in different contexts and different with different groups at different times. And all of that matters. And then, when I come back around or if we come back around or we connect in some other way, like it all kind of feeds all of us because we're, 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 we're brewing a soup together. Yes. Beautiful. I want to add something to it. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people think that they always need to like, okay, you gave them something and it has to be added and improved. Yes, of course. But even if it's the same, but alive, it can be interesting. And I give you an example. I was working when I was younger, I was working with quite good actors and, I was always surprised that, you know, I once seen a text and perform a certain text. I will say something like something that everyone would know. Let's say, I would say Shakespeare. It wasn't the Shakespeare, but you know, Shakespeare and there's this amazing text or it could be Beckett or it could be Bernhard or whatever. And so the, these are these kind of texts that I was working with and I understood the meaning, et cetera. And it was something that happens 10 years later, I see another actor doing exactly the same text and he revealed another meaning in, the, in it. Mm -hmm. The same words, the same order, but the way the prosody, the melody, the way it was placed and shared and vibrated gave to the text completely another meaning. And this can happen repeatedly over years and years that people, each person that takes that material and understands that material will bring something very novel to it. Even if it seems to be locked within that particular text that has very particular order, it's like almost having that fixed kind of structure a sequence of information but can be encoded in many different ways even if 
there was no mutation, like a point mutation or deletion or change of the syntax. It was really the same, yet so different. How wonderful. And so yeah. we all stand on our two feet. But the beautiful diversity of not only moving, but thinking and articulating our stories are so incredible. The grammar is the same in English. We can even try to say the same story, but we come up with such a beautiful differences between us. We put emphasis somewhere else, somewhere else. We skip something from those stories. And so it gets a new meaning. I, I just love because I'm trying to take a circle to the beginning when you were saying about how we were with consciousness, memory, and in the theater settings. Mm -hmm. And so theater, that matrix, that black or white space gives us these opportunities to study those capacities for sharing energy and information. Mm -hmm. And the, and the commas come in many forms. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. of course. Um, man, I'm, I'm really happy that you uh, accepted my invitation to come back and, uh, and chat again, because uh, this was really wonderful and really special. Thank you, Kayla. I, I just, you know, I've, I feel a little bit sorry that I cannot be in the US, you know, like that I'm not making my yearly visits there, but I hope this is gonna happen sometime soon. Yeah. Well, at the, at the, you know, maybe at the very least, my, my hope is to head back to Europe, maybe in the spring or the summer or something. And if, if, if you know, there's no fighting monkey, uh, you know, your US tour this year, I will, uh, maybe I'll catch you guys over there. Super. I'm so happy. You're very welcome to come. <laughs>